Thanks, Gordon. It is uh, great to be here with you guys tonight. It's great to see you all. And, um, you know, one of the reasons we love singing hymns and, and, and mixing these things in and not always doing contemporary songs is, I don't know if you noticed, one of my favorite things about hymnals is it often says the year these were written. And the first one we sang was the oldest, but from 1757. And I was just laughing that Christians have been praising God with this song before where I come from was even a country. Um, and I just think it's beautiful. So I am uh, I'm so, so glad you guys are all here uh, to worship with us tonight. Please open your Bibles if you like to Acts chapter 20. It will also be on the screen, but uh, in case something comes up or something you want to reference, um, it's always good to have your, your finger in, in the Bible where we're reading. So we'll be in Acts chapter 20, um, and, and tonight uh, we'll be talking about faithfulness, uh, the next in our list of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, last week I incorrectly said gentleness was next. Um, it sort of works out perfectly though because here on, on, on Palm Sunday we talk about this, and then next week for Easter we get to talk about gentleness, and I'm very excited about that. But for tonight, faithfulness, out of Acts chapter 20. And this is, um, context-wise, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church after he leaves them. Um, We'll be reading verses 18 through 31. Please follow along with me. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you to publicly, uh, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So tonight we have these two readings. One of them is very, very clearly about faith. You've probably heard it before, the Hebrew 11. You know, it's, it's often called the hall of faith, like the hall of fame. Here's these great people who've done all these wonderful things. And then in Acts 20, a passage that seemingly doesn't have a lot to do with faith. In fact, I'm not even sure the word faith was used. But one of the things we see and that we'll be talking about is that we see an example of what faith does. Paul's faithfulness to the church that he served. 
Because faith is sort of a tricky thing to balance out. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to define faith. You, you would say, well, it's, it's, it's believing in God, but, but, but to what level? Is there some sort of line we must attain or we must reach? You know, you know it's, it's one of those things, it's, it's like it says in Hebrews 11 that Michael read, it is assurance about what we don't see. And we know that we cannot save ourselves. And that even our faith is not the thing that saves us, that God is the, is the one who saves us. We have faith that he will, we believe that he will, and we have Palm Sunday, this day that we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem, knowing they would probably, he would not leave. Knowing it's leading now, we have the gift of hindsight, to the most important day on the Christian calendar, Easter. I want to remind us when we talk about faith that the whole book you have in your hands, the whole Bible is a book about faith. You know, many people, when they read the Old Testament, they think, well, the reason people were saved in the Old Testament was by sacrifice. They would kill an animal and they would do these things and that would save them. That would atone for their sins. But, but not really. See, even that was a faith-based system. It wasn't necessarily the blood of the, the dove or the blood of the calf or the blood of the bull that would save people. It was people saying to God, I see you have given us these commands and I believe that this obedience to you will atone for my sin. This is why in Habakkuk, the prophet says that the just will live by his faith, not the law. See, see, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are faith-based. We believe that God will intervene on behalf of our belief, of our sacrifice, on what we do. That God sees that and he honors that. This is why faithfulness is sort of difficult to define. It, it's belief, it's trust, it's resting in God, but it's also action. In some way, we, we have to balance this with action. You know, and we even see in verse 6 from the Hebrews reading that, that it is impossible to please God without faith. And so we must have it. And I want to say this, and if it sounds harsh, forgive me, but, but either you believe or you don't. <laughs> Meaning when it comes to faith, either you believe in God or you do not. Now we could talk about why or why not, but only God knows your heart. I do not. And it's not something that you can even really produce yourself. It's something that God gives us, this revelation through scripture and through people and through experience. And God knows your heart. And it doesn't mean in church that we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it. We don't want to build up your faith. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to help each other. We want to look and get to know one another and build up faith in one another. So that Monday through Saturday, you're working out your salvation, as the Apostle Paul said. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so our faith is something that is constant, that is growing, that is changing. But as I said, it's sort of hard to really put a pin on. Think about it like this. When I was 13, I became a Christian. And, and when I was 13, I thought I was a Christian and I had it all figured out. But then by the time I, I turned 18 and went to Bible college, I thought, oh, well, when I was 13, I had no idea what I was talking about. I don't, I don't even know if I really believed. And then, and then when I graduated Bible college, I remember looking back at when I started Bible college and thinking, well, did I really understand? Did I really get it back then? I mean, this is sort of how faith works. It grows and it increases. And so it's not something that we can just say, here's the one thing you need outside of the cross. But, but faith is sort of this moving thing and it's different for all of us. 
This is why Jesus, throughout the Gospels, encounters and deals with people in different ways. In Mark chapter 2, the man on the mat, he says, I see all of your faith and your faith, the communal faith of this man and his friends has saved him. To the rich young ruler, he says, sell everything you have. To the man on the cross, he says, hey, you'll be with me in paradise. To Nicodemus, he says, hey, you need to be born again. Why didn't he tell that to everybody? We don't know. See, Jesus deals with us all in very different ways. And so when you think about your faith, know that it's not something you have to fit into a definition. It's not something you have to get just so. It's something you have to be honest about with God. And my question I want to talk about tonight as we talk about our lives here at this church and in our jobs and in our friends and in our schools is what does our faith produce in us? See, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit each week. And what Paul meant by saying that in Galatians chapter 5 when he lists all of these things is he's saying this will be the outpouring of our life, right? Carrying out the analogy of Jesus, that we will bear fruit. We will be like a fruit tree. We will give things to the world. And so what does our faith produce? Because according to scripture, there will be evidence. If we believe, if we have faith, there will be evidence. Many of you know the passage from the the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14, when he says, What good is it, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? It's in James chapter 2. Faith alone cannot save us. There has to be an outpouring. There has to be something that comes and flows from our faith. Even if you think about the Hebrews reading we just read, the the beginning of chapter 12 goes on to something that's really interesting. It says, therefore, in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that tangles. Let us get rid of all this stuff. See, so therefore, so what he's saying is, you know, in the Bible when there's a therefore, you're referencing the thing beforehand. He's saying because of faith, we can gather together. We can get rid of the sin in our lives and we can move forward and grow. We continue to meet and we grow in faith together. We see what faith does. It leads to great inspiring stories. All these Old Testament things. These motivating stories that faith begets faith. And we know that faith, and you may never have never thought about it, but when you think about what faith is, faith is not just belief, it's also a motivator. Because whatever stage your faith is at, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 24 hours, your faith is the thing that motivates you to act. Your faith is the thing that motivates you to do what is right or to do what is wrong in any given situation. Our faith can grow, it can become stronger, But this is why we need to talk about it. This is why we need to be honest. This is why we need to be gathering together. You know, if you read the Old Testament, God does this all the time. He says, hey, remember the things I have done, right? When Joshua and all the people of Israel go into the promised land, he says, stop and set up an Ebenezer, stones of remembrance, to remember what we did so that when your faith is weary, you can remember. When God introduces himself to people, he says, I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who took you out of Egypt, that we can remember. Our faith motivates us to continue to do things, especially when they become difficult. And that's what was happening with the Apostle Paul. Life in the first century for him had gotten very difficult. (laughs) Everywhere he went, everywhere he went, basically at some point he was either beaten thrown out of town, accused of something he didn't do, put in prison. 
And here he is, he's even saying, I'm going back to Jerusalem and odds are it's not going to be good for me, but I'm going to go anyways. And so I want to look at what Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders and I want to bring up four things I think that we can all learn from the Apostle Paul and how his faith poured out on the people around him. And the first thing is found in verses 18 and 19. In verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul basically says, hey, I have not stopped. If you look, it says, the whole time I was with you, the whole time I was there in verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with humility, with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Not only is he serving these people, not only is he giving time, he was there about three years, a long time. But he was doing so amidst resistance. People were actively trying to stop him from serving, trying to stop him from preaching, trying to stop him from helping. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes struggle serving without any opposition. I sometimes struggle to to volunteer my time, to do what is right in the sense of living out my faith even without opposition. You know, many of us have absolutely no opposition. There was no one that would stop you from sharing Christ with your friends. There was no one that would stop you from doing what is right. There was no one that would stop you from being more honest and more open about things. Maybe volunteering. There was no one to stop you to say it was actively pushing against you to get more involved in caring and justice and giving. Even without opposition... We struggle. And the Apostle Paul, we see here that his faith, even in the midst of this harsh opposition, he continued. He continued on. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes opposition actually can help. You know, many people believe that one of the reasons the Christian church grew so much in the first century and in the second century was because of persecution was because when Christians were persecuted, they continued to believe, they continued to preach the gospel, and people saw them dying for it and said, that is something worth believing in. You know, I've talked to people, I talked to a guy, once uh, a pastor from Bulgaria, and he was telling me about the times under communism where he would get arrested. And he was saying, I'd get arrested for preaching the gospel, and they'd tell me you have to, you know, stop preaching, stop preaching, stop preaching. And he would say, no, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And the next day, they let him out of jail, and they say, you stop preaching, or else we're going to get you tomorrow. And he'd say, I'll see you tomorrow. And he'd go out, and he'd preach, and he'd say, people would come to Christ, and people would be laying their lives down for Jesus. And he says, honestly, now, sometimes I wish I could go back to those days, because people don't need Jesus anymore. I mean, imagine that, this pastor wishing to go back, not, not really, because there are many things that are much better, but he said, as a pastor, the message was almost easier back then. You know, think of the stories of the martyrs that we've heard over the years. One of the most compelling ones, and many of you in this room will be familiar with it, the, the four um, Christian missionaries who died in the jungles of Ecuador in the 50s, it was on the cover of Time magazine. You know, think of the stories of the martyrs that we have heard over the years. You know, many people believe that we've become so comfortable in the West, we've become so safe with our belief and, and, and this sort of thing, we've kept it so personal that, that the, the mission of the Christian church and the message of the gospel has just become watered down. And I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you, the first thing we learn, I think, from the Apostle Paul is that the faithfulness, takes away our fear of what other people might think of our belief. Paul was not afraid of what they would do to him. 
And, and we do not have this kind of opposition. We will not be beaten. We will not be thrown out of town for sharing our faith. But as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, with patience and with peace, we have a different kind of fear that plagues us. With our comfort comes this awful thing called anxiety. We may not have physical fear. We may not worry about our health. We may not worry about being thrown in jail for preaching. But we have incredible anxiety about the unknown. And let me encourage you, our faith can overcome that too. But let me move on because as Paul goes on, he gives more and he reminds them of more of the things he did in verse 20 and 21. He says, I never hesitated to preach and to teach anything that you needed. In fact, I even went house to house with you people. I went house to house and visited and built relationships and lived alongside you guys. And this is the second thing I want to bring up that our faith really builds and nurtures is that it builds relationships. Our faith, one of the outpourings of our faith will be strong Christ, God-honoring relationships within the body of Christ. As I mentioned in Hebrews 12, in Hebrews the author says that one of the outpourings of faith is getting rid of sin because of the cloud of witnesses we have around us. This is the same thing. He's saying, listen, relationship will come. Paul's faithfulness led to a strong relationship with these people, that he would spend time with them, that he would talk with them about faith. I mean, look around you. Look at your life. Look at the people God has given you. You know, many of us, our faith and our religion and, and our belief, we owe to the people around us. Some of us did come to faith on our own and of our own decision, but many of us and many of the people I've talked to, it's because of our relationships. And usually when we give a relationship to God, when we trust God with a relationship, it continues to build up our faith. You know, I have many Christian friends who I immediately think of when I think of this. People I've spent time with, people I've worked through, through the good times and the bad, and I look back and I think, gosh, I see where they are now, I see where they were, and because I committed to some of these relationships, my own faith is strengthened all the more. You know, what else did Paul do? He goes on to say that he preached repentance. Now, this is a hard one. You know, sure, uh, our faith helps us overcome fear, and sure, it helps us build relationships, but here's the thing is, I'm not an evangelist. <laughs> I'm not going to be the person who tells my coworker about Jesus. I, I, I mean, I like my neighbor. They're nice, but I'm just not going to invite them to church because that's weird. This is church, and that's them, and it's just different. Okay, no one understands that more than me. I love compartmentalizing my life. You know, one of the things I heard in this podcast once is if for people who kind of compartmentalize like me, my biggest fear is that I would have an accident and I would wake up in the hospital and all of these different sectors of my life would be all in one place for the first time and I would have a panic attack. I have compartmentalized my life. Now, so, so no one can say that they don't want to mix these things more than me. But it comes up, doesn't it? Even if we try to keep our non-Christian friends away from church and our Christian friends here and in our work life here and our school life here and our church life, when we try to do all this other stuff, it comes up. I, I always joke that, you know, it, it only takes a little while and if you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, eventually people are going to find out who you are and they're going to want to know and they're going to ask you. And when that happens, you don't have to be an evangelist on the street corner. You don't have to be down there at, at, you know, at a festival handing out tracts and saying, Jesus loves you. That's not me either. 
But when that stuff actually does come up, what do you say? Do you softball it? Do you downplay it? Do you pretend it's not as big of a deal? Oh yeah, I go to church. Well, you know, I kind of grew up going to church, so I, you know, I still kind of go. Or do you say, yeah, I do. I believe in the Bible. Yes, I do. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he was a real person who died on a cross. Because here's the thing, I can't get away from this, even as someone who hates sharing my faith, even as a pastor, and I'm being honest. I don't like talking about it in certain situations. You know, the best thing as a pastor is when you sit on an airplane. And in the U.S., the number one question people always ask you first thing is, so, what do you do? I, I, and I confess this to you now, I've even lied before. I'll say I'm a teacher or I, I'm something else because I just don't want to have the conversation dealing with this other person's baggage from their religion stuff that they've been dealing with for years. I just, I, I, I'm sorry. The Lord has forgiven me. But our faith will lead us to preaching the gospel. And there's no way around it. You will have conversations. You will have times where someone says, wait, so do you really believe what the Bible says? And the answer is yes, I do. Let me tell you why. You know, the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, I preach to you all repentance and love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that will be an outpouring of your faith. And I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. But I've gone through it. You will go through it and you will survive. You will share your faith and you will tell someone Jesus loves them and they will say something to you like, well, that's nonsense, that's stupid, I don't believe that. And you'll realize, hey, I'm still okay. <laughs> I'm still here. Like the pastor who got arrested in Bulgaria, he said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm gonna survive. And I'm not saying this because I'm great at it. I'm saying this because this is a very clear outpouring of faith from scripture that happens with almost everybody. And when we are faithful, we go, not being afraid, but being compelled by the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul said, to live out what we believe. And given the opportunity, we will preach the gospel. What if they mock me? What if they turn on me? What if, what if I lose a friend? What if I lose something I was holding to so tightly? You know, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples in Matthew 10, he said, there's going to be people who don't like you. He sent out the disciples and he said, hey, you're going to get to a town and, and, and they may not like you. And in fact, they may want nothing to do with you. And he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I know it's dangerous out there. I know it's scary out there. But you know what? You can do this. Your faith will empower you. Your belief will lead you in the way you should go. And we now know, with the, again, with the benefit of hindsight, that we have the Holy Spirit who will lead us, who will give us words, and who will give us power. Jesus said this, if anyone will not welcome you, this is in Matthew 10, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. <laughs> Jesus, I love Jesus because everyone always talks about how Jesus is just so loving and so peaceful. He didn't say you might be. He said you will be. He said you will be flogged. You will be handed over to local councils. You will be handed over to synagogues. People will not like what you have to say. In fact, I'm sending you out like sheep into wolves. 
And we see the Apostle Paul's message being consistent with that. He says to the Ephesian church, hey, after I leave, wolves are going to come in. It's going to be hard. What will your faith do? How will your faith guide you? And as the Apostle Paul said very clearly, hey, I never stopped preaching. Even in the midst of opposition, I never stopped. And so you too should never stop. And so the first thing is we should not be afraid. The second thing is we should be building relationships. The third thing is we should be evangelizing and sharing our faith. And the last thing, I want you to look at verse 24. This is the last and I think the most important thing. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Our faith tells us what our life really is worth and what, our, what matters most about our life and that is our life with Christ forever. Not our life here on this earth. And this is why we celebrate Holy Week. This is why we celebrate Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, because our worth and our value is not dictated by the world, but by God, who became a man, lived a faultless life, and then gave that very life for you. You know, next week we get to celebrate and we'll say and sing fun songs and everything, but really, when we look at it, we see that our faith should lead us to that same place of being willing to give up our very lives because our lives are worth nothing if we do not have Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul was a little bit crazy. He voluntarily went to prison. He, he sat in chains once and sang worship songs. But his model for faithful service is kind of amazing. Imagine if this was the perspective of the church. If the millions and maybe billions of Christians worldwide had the same perspective. No matter where their faith was at, whether they were a faith giant or whether they were a brand new Christian, it doesn't matter. If they were willing to serve without asking anything in return, to intercede for others to the point of tears, to be building relationships and not be afraid of what other people thought about them. And as Paul goes on with the church talking about sheep and wolves, to prepare others for their future, to offer themselves as leadership, to train other leaders to be prepared when they're no longer around. Paul gives us a great example of faith lived out. It's almost like a how-to guide. What should our life look like? If we believe, what should, we, what should our life look like? Well, we should not be afraid. We should be building relationships in the church, teaching others about what we have found, and we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our worth is found in Jesus Christ and not in the deeds or the perceptions of other people. God knows your heart, and he knows you believe. You know, consider the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to go back to Jerusalem. He knew very clearly it was not going to end well for him. He was not afraid, but he also wasn't naive. You know, if you're familiar with this, the story of the Passion Week, the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so fervor, fervently that his sweat became like blood. Yet he had the faith to know that God would care for him, that God was there for him. See, our faith defines our calling and who we are. Our vocation is just a job. So whether you're a student, whether you're, whether you're whatever it is, I don't know what your job is, but our calling is all the same. Our calling is to preach Christ crucified. Our calling is to live out our faith in relationships and with our neighbors and with our coworkers and to live that way outside of anxiety and fear, knowing 
that Christ is with us, knowing that our life is hid with Christ on high. We don't have to be martyrs to do great things on this earth and to encourage others. Our very actions should speak about the God who lives within us. And the Apostle Paul did an unbelievable job of living this out. And here we see these things in Ephesus as the result. And we know the church in Ephesus as one of the biggest cities in the world grew and grew and grew and it got really big and sent missionaries out and had these great young pastors, Timothy and Titus. You can read Paul's words to them in the New Testament as well. I mean, consider the people in your life that you admire. Consider the people that have encouraged and built up your faith. Not all of them are famous. In fact, I want to share with you a really quick story. You know, just a few days ago we were talking and and my wife and I, we were in our kitchen and Jenna says, hey, it was three years ago Ben died. And I thought, wow, how has it already been three years? You know, Ben was a friend of ours. He was actually a friend of Jenna's older brother who had become kind of like part of our family. And he would come every year for Thanksgiving. They were college roommates and good friends. And, and um, one day we got the call that, that, that Ben, in his 30s, healthy guy, played soccer, football. Uh, and, and he had a heart attack and, and, and just died. And it was really sad and it was hard. And we all get together and we go to the funeral. And something amazing happened at the funeral. We're all sitting around and, and all of these people sort of start getting up and talking about the things he would do. You know, he, he was not a rock star. If you search his name, you might find a picture from his old office or you might find something he had done from college and from athletics or something. But, but no one's going to know about him other than people who knew him. But we were sitting there and, and these people stood up and said, oh, well, you know, I remember when Ben did this, this, and this. And he's, he, these, these moms from the church, these single mothers from the church got up and said, oh, I remember what Ben, you know what Ben would do? He would do these special date nights for single moms because he didn't grow up with a father. And so he would do these special date nights and he would find all these men to volunteer and wear tuxedos with white gloves. And, and they'd bring them everyone to the church and they'd cook a really nice three or four course meal for all of these single moms with, with childcare. And, and, and they would just treat these women, you know, like queens because the rest of the time they didn't have a dime to spend on themselves. And we're sitting around thinking, I never knew that. I never knew this guy did these things. You know, there's this, there's this other family. He would always come to our family's house for Thanksgiving. But there was this other family. He would always go to their house for Easter. And, and we would sit around. And, and we met them. We're like, wait a minute. You're the Easter us. They're like, you're the Thanksgiving us. You know, because he was always part of our family and always part of their family. And everyone, just a room full of people who loved him because of his faith and his generosity. And that he lived his faith out. And no one will ever hear his story but for times like this. And I think about faith and I think about what it is and faith is something that we just do. We just live it out. God puts something on your heart and you know you should do it. The question is, will you have the courage to do it? God puts something on your heart and says, I believe and it makes me want to do this. Then go do it. Trust that God will be with you. Our faith has been given by the Holy Spirit and we have been set free. And no matter where our faith is, at what level of understanding, we can produce these things through the Holy Spirit because God has promised it to you. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the gift of knowing you. Thank you for the revelation of belief and thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, I pray that 
whether it's releasing us from fear, building relationships, sharing our faith, or just knowing what our worth is to you, God, that through the Holy Spirit you would reveal it to us now. Lord, thank you for who you've made each of us to be with different gifts and different passions, different friends and family and co-workers. Lord, let us be a light. Let us live out our faith without fear, knowing that you are our God and we are your children. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for this day. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a time now. We're going to have another song and, and take it as however you like. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to stand, you can stand. But use it as a time to respond to whatever God might be showing you and whatever you might be thinking. Uh, and it's uh, find us faithful.